All right, as we work our way back to the seats, I just want to invite uh, you to uh, uh, bring your attention up to the front here. I want to introduce our speaker this morning is uh, Dan, Dan Hodgson, and he is an area pastor for the Vineyard uh, for the Central Coast region here. So he oversees the different pastors and churches, and um, he actually started a church along with his wife, back a Vineyard Church in 1984 in Goleta, which is just north of Santa Barbara. And up until uh, about the last year, uh, they pastored there, and now uh, he is a uh, ambassador, I think, as we would call you, correct? And um, he just, uh, he turned over the, the pastorate of the church to uh, another uh, young man, or young, another man and his wife. Um, and uh, now they lead that, that particular church, but Dan and his wife, Barbara, um, are free to just um, just oversee and just do, see what God's doing in this new season of their life. Uh, his, Barb, his wife, Barbara, is not here with us today. She's home taking care of the grandkids. But uh, we're glad that you're here, Dan. And so Dan's going to bring us a message this morning. Why don't you go ahead and welcome him with a good Coastlands welcome. Good to be here, you guys. What a wonderful family. And uh, wasn't that beautiful worship with Allie? Can we thank Allie for leading us today? Thanks, Allie. That was beautiful. So through conversation with uh, Chris, uh, who called me this week, he said you guys have been doing a, a series on rediscovering or really understanding your true identity in Christ. And that's uh, an awesome Awesome study. So have you been having fun with that? Finding out who you really are? Getting in touch with uh, your true destiny, your true potential, your true purpose, your, your true identity, what we were created for. We're going to continue with that series this morning, and we're going to look at uh, John chapter 14. One of the places where Jesus most clearly describes how his life worked, his own identity, and describes how our lives work and describes our true identity. Beautiful, beautiful uh, passage that, that John recorded of the last night with Jesus before his death. And uh, let's just take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to help us with these moments that we have, okay? Father, we're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that you're with us and for us. We're grateful, Jesus, that you brought us home into Daddy's heart, and we're grateful, Holy Spirit, that you're with us to lead, to counsel, to comfort, to guide, to lead us into all the truth, and we, we thank you for your presence to help us really understand who we are, who you've created us to be, and, and to understand uh, who you are, the wonder of who you are. So we welcome you. We pray that you would surprise us, do more than we could even ask or think in these moments today. In your precious name, Jesus, and the saints said, amen. So Jesus, uh, as, as John records uh, this conversation, if you have your Bibles or your iPads or your phones or I think it's even, oh, it's even on the overhead behind us. You guys are really high tech. You got it going on here. Uh, he begins where most of us begin every day to some degree or another. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. How many of you start a day with your hearts a little bit disturbed about one thing or another? 
Sometimes just a little bit, sometimes it's really acute, right? Sometimes it's really severe. Well, the disciples at this point are, are just redlined. They are stressed to the max and beyond. They're scared to death. They're confused. It seems like the world is upside down. They're a long way from home. They're these quiet rural fishing villages on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, down in the big city of Jerusalem, under the, the crushing weight of the oppression politically and militarily of Rome, and under the weight of this corrupt religious system uh, that was determined to kill their master, the one they had become convinced was the Messiah prophesied all the way from the beginning of time, from Genesis. Uh, the one who they had watched heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver the demonized, feed multitudes with handfuls of food and calm violent life-threatening storms of the word. And uh, now they knew that his death was imminent and it just didn't make sense. I mean, that'd be pretty hard to grasp, wouldn't it? How does the creator of the universe die at the hands of his own creation? So these guys are, are really, really uh, in knots. And Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled. Easy for, maybe easy for you to say, well, wait a minute. Easy for Jesus to say? I mean, you know, over the course of this night, he'll be betrayed. He'll be abandoned by all of his disciples, his closest followers. John was the only one who hung at the cross with the other faithful women that were a part of that core group of, of really close, dear friends. He'll be slandered. He'll be falsely accused. He'll be tortured. He'll be violently executed. And he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Then he says, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now listen to this next line. So that where I am, hello, present tense. Here he's waiting to be betrayed, to be slandered, to be tortured, to be violently executed. He's in the dwelling place that he's talking about in that very moment. In the dwelling place, he's opening up and restoring and bringing us back into that we had forfeited back in the garden. So that where I am, you may be also. And uh, when, it, when he says that, he says, um, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am right now, present tense, the night before his death, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Now, uh, when, when he says the place where he is, just, just pop quiz. Where's he dwelling? Where, where, where's the dwelling place Jesus is talking about? Right hand of God. Okay, yeah, with the Father. Any other elaboration on that? How, how would you describe the dwelling place Jesus is in? Okay, he's in total agreement with God, right standing with God. Physical situation is not good. It's, a bit, it, it's, it's the worst moment in cosmic history. More, more suffering, more pain, more crisis than has off the scale than has ever happened to anyone ever in, in cosmic history. But the dwelling place he has, let's, let's state it simply this way is in his father's heart. Would you agree? He's in daddy's heart. Who's in his heart? Daddy. Who else is there? The Holy Spirit. He's with the father and the Holy Spirit at the right hand, like you're saying. 
and they're in him. And what, what he's describing is, as these verses unfold is how that dwelling place is being restored for us. Is that good news? Can somebody say yes? You can say it out loud. You can even say amen if you want to. And uh, so we have this beautiful dwelling place, and he says, and you know the way where I'm going. Now, leave it to the disciples, to be honest. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And then Jesus says something. Let me ask another question, this next line. Has any other human being in history ever said something of this profound magnitude? No. I did a double major in philosophy and psychology and a degree in theology. I've done a lot of reading, a lot of studying world religions, etc. Nobody's ever said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whew, heavy. That, that's, that, that's pretty complete, isn't it? Pretty profound, pretty comprehensive. On the way home to Daddy's heart to this dwelling place that I'm describing, that I'm opening up for you, that I'm living in right now, and that I'm, I'm going to bring you into with me, and uh, I'm the truth. I'm, I'm revealing the truth of who the Father is. We have an objective record. What uh, most contemporaries don't realize is, is the eyewitness credibility of the accounts of the New Testament is beyond any other historical information we have, certainly from that period, probably virtually from any period, frankly. And so he's showing us the truth of who the Father is, his compassion, his mercy, his kindness, his integrity, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his fearlessness. I mean, the list goes on. We're seeing him in full living color in our humanity display the wonder and glory of God. I mean, John in the first chapter says, we beheld his glory. It's like we were transfixed. We were mesmerized by this guy. There was no one like him. The only begotten, which in, in the original Greek means continually in every second revealing the glory of God. That would be mesmerizing, wouldn't it? It would be pretty hard to take your eyes off, a person like that. Well, guess who's living in you now? Amen? Guess who you get to impart as you live through the moments of your life? That uh, wonderful, loving Father, that victorious Lord Jesus, that uh, wonderful counselor and comforter of the Holy Spirit. So... <clears throat> I'm the way, the truth, I'm, I'm showing you who God is, I'm showing you who you were created to be. Jesus, would you say, is, is he the prototype human? We heard it back here earlier from our brother. He lived in perfect agreement with, with his dad, 24-7. He was tempted in every way we have been. He shared all of our weaknesses, all of our limitations. Uh, and he was, he was tempted continually by the adversary, by the highest created angel who rebelled and was cast out of heaven took one-third of the angels with him in that, in that rebellion uh, to come down and break a father's heart by causing as much pain in the lives of dad's kids, our lives, as he could. And uh, so, you know, here, here, here's Jesus revealing who we're created to be, living, trusting the love of our Father, living in the wisdom, the counsel, the power of the Holy Spirit all the time. In John 5, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. He's the only human being who ever lived. Now listen to this line. 
I, I don't think I've heard it th- this way from others, but he's the only person who had no self-confidence. You follow what I'm saying? He wasn't trusting himself. And we just sang those lines, Lord, don't forget I'm helpless. He doesn't have a pro- problem being aware that we're helpless. We're the ones who forget. We're, we're the ones that try to be omnicompetent, you know, totally capable. It's hard for us to feel incapable, isn't it? Inadequate, deficient. Uh, we're discouraged with failure. We're discouraged with weakness. It's really difficult for us. I mean, when, when, uh, when the Lord said, uh, my grace is sufficient, Paul, because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What a paradox. You mean where I'm weak, that's where you manifest your strength, your wisdom, your goodness, your presence. Yeah, that, that, that's the mystery of this paradox. Trusting our, our Father's love, trusting the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So he was the, the prototype human. He showed us what it means to be fully human. The way, the truth, and the life itself meaning that he had always lived in this intimate relationship with his dad, with the Holy Spirit, with himself. Here are three distinct personalities, functions, and roles, uh, totally interdependent, totally trusting, total love, no power struggle, no conflict. Uh, What the Father conceives, the Son reveals, the Holy Spirit brings into being. They do everything together, uh, just the the epitome of, of what life is to be totally known, understood, loved, and accepted. Wouldn't you love to have relationships like that? We do have in measure, don't we, with, with people in our lives. We're known for who we are. We're loved and accepted unconditionally. And uh, we're, we're understood. And uh, it, it's a wonderful, it's a, our, our hearts breathe easy in, in that kind of setting. And that life was so exhilarating between Daddy and Jesus and the Holy Spirit that it compelled the creation, the glory of all that exists into being. It had to be shared. It compelled us into being, uh, created in their image, in, in the image of God, they, Elohim, the plural uh, name for God in, in Genesis 1, created us in God's image. And, and so he's the way, the truth, and the life. And as we said, no one has ever said anything close to this. So this, this is profound. And now that you guys have said yes, that we've said yes to Daddy's love for us, to the fact that Jesus has borne our grief, our sorrow, our pain, our failure, our sin, he's taken it, all that tragedy and weight on the cross, has overcome it, has risen again victorious to the right hand of the Father, poured out the fullness of his presence upon us and within us, it means that we have the gift of having Daddy, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit with us 24-7, and that everything we do and everywhere we go, we can generously, humbly, kindly, warmly offer that reservoir of life to those around us. We can offer that love. We can offer that acceptance. We can offer that understanding. We can listen to the Holy Spirit tell us who people are, We can speak encouragement and affirmation into their hearts, and we can give them freedom to come home to what their heart already knows is true because the Holy Spirit's already been talking to them before we showed up. We get to affirm what they're already hearing. We'll look at that uh, a little bit later as we go on here. So this dwelling place we have in Daddy's heart, what an awesome, awesome place. Then as the text continues... 
Uh, the next question is, is, is from Philip, and Jesus has just said when he answered Thomas, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, here's how bright the disciples are, just like us, a little bit slow on the uptake, a little dense. Philip says, oh, if you just show us the Father, that'd be enough. And so Jesus says to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you haven't come to know me, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? See, we're talking about this dwelling place, him and daddy's heart, daddy and his heart with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the words that I say to you, he says, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. In other words, I'm not even just spouting my own opinion. I'm speaking words to you right now from the heart of your heavenly Father. He says, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. If you can't grasp these words, this concept of what I'm describing to you, believe on the account of what you've seen, the works themselves. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me feed thousands of people with handfuls of food. You've seen me calm life-threatening storms. You've seen me cast out fallen angels that are oppress oppressing and harassing people. Uh, you've seen the works. And then he steps into this, this next uh, stage after describing this dwelling place that he's in, that he's, that he's reopening for us and bringing us into, then he talks about the, the power that comes out of this dwelling place. And uh, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, shall they do also. And uh, this is a real stunner. Greater works than I do shall you do because I go to the Father. How many of us have experienced greater works than Jesus before his resurrection? I mean, that, that's, that's what he says, is our, our identity, our legacy, his presence in us and through us. And we're going to take a, a, a snapshot look at uh, Peter as an example to just show the, the learning curve, the growth curve, as, as he comes into the, uh, a, a more and more complete understanding of his identity in Jesus uh, in just a moment. <clears throat> whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, does that just mean tagging the name of Jesus on the end of a request you make and expecting it, boom, to happen? Is that what that line means? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What, what, what does it mean? Anybody want to offer a comment? We heard about alignment, about agreement with the heart of God earlier. That, that's, uh, that's part of the picture. But really, uh, when, when he says, in my name, probably the closest metaphor we have is, is marriage, where uh, a spouse takes uh, a husband's name, the two become one. And, and it's talking about agreement of heart, of mind, of purpose, of shared partnership, uh, of agreement. Uh, common purpose. And what he's saying is that when we're agree in agreement with what he is wanting to do, with what he's saying, that is released. And that we have a privilege of living in that kind of relationship with him. The beautiful thing about all of this is it's about relationship with him. It's not about a formula. It's not about performance. It's not about earning the right, being good enough to be able to pull this stuff off. It's about resting in his love. 
and listening to his heart and his voice and just agreeing with him and watching him do more than we could even ask or think. So let's take a look at, at Peter for a moment as an example and, and take a look at this learning curve. Remember, Peter was the one who the night before Jesus died said, Lord, even, even though you're telling us it will all fall away, if all the rest of these guys deny you, I will lay down my life for you. you remember what Jesus said? Well, Pete, sorry to let you know, but before the cock crows tomorrow, you'll deny three times you even know me. Oh, man, that would be depressing. <laughs> Not an encouraging word. And remember, in, in the text uh, that next morning, in the wee hours of the morning, the third time that, that Peter's confronted as, as being one of Jesus' disciples, he curses and swears, says he doesn't know, that he's never known the man, and then he meets Jesus' eyes ac across the courtyard. It's like, oh, no. I've just denied the most important relationship in my life. He went out and wept bitterly, it says. Wasn't at the cross with Jesus through that, the, the final hours of his suffering? Uh, the, only one, the only one of the, t of the 12 that were there was John and then the faithful women. And, uh, you know, Peter was so discouraged. I'm sure he felt like he had forfeited the calling on his life, his destiny, his purpose, that he was, on, he was disqualified. And we find him later after that going back to the only thing he knew how to do, which was to fish and see if Galilee took a bunch of the disciples with him. And we see the story in John 21 of, of the restoration of that broken heart where, remember, they'd been fishing all night and they're, they're just in a daze. They're depressed. They have seen Jesus on a number of occasions or over these 40 days after his resurrection. Uh, but suddenly they hear this familiar voice from the shore. Hey, have you guys caught anything? No, not a thing. He says, and this is when he had first met Peter, remember, uh, three and a half years before. He said, toss the net on the other side. And they, in a daze, kind of throw the net on the other side. The boat almost sinks with 153 large fish. And John, who was always the quickest, said, Pete, it's the Lord. And Peter, remember, throws himself in the water and just beats it to shore. And Jesus has a fire burning, you know, with, with, with fish and bread, has a meal ready for them. And he has this conversation with Peter where he reminds him about the foot washing the night before he died, where he said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will. And he says to him, do you, you still claim to love me more than the rest of these guys ready to die for me? And Pete says, basically, I'm not ready to die for you. I'm not even ready to live for you, but I, I like you. <laughs> that, that's that's the, the language in the Greek. It's the difference between agape and phileo. Jesus asks with agape, and Peter answers with, with friendship, with phileo. And, and so Jesus says, that's good enough. Tend my lambs. Those that are just like you, that are starting this journey of faith, learning to trust my love, learning to trust my forgiveness, learning to trust that I'm with you always, that I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never fail you. I'm for you. You're safe. You're secure because of my love, not because of your performance. And then he asked him a second time, do you, do you still claim to be ready to die for me? He says, no, nope, not ready to die for you, not even ready to live for you, but I do like you. And he said, well, then tend my sheep as they mature, lead my sheep as they mature into their calling, into their purpose, into their destiny, and into reaching all my sons and daughters with this reunion with my heart, with the Father. And then he asks him a third time, he comes down to his level, he says, Pete, do you even like me? He uses Pete's language. And then it says Peter was grieved, just grieved in heart at that point, because he knew that he couldn't hide his heart from Jesus and he had to say, I know that I know that I know that even though I'm not ready to, to die for you, let alone live for you, I do like you. 
And then Jesus said, then great, then tend my sheep once they're mature. You know, in the, in the later season of your life, as you've raised these lambs, as you lead the sheep, then tend the flock, you know, in those mature years. So his calling is still intact. It's not withdrawn. And so it's another 10 days after they wait in the upper room that, that Pentecost comes, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and Peter stands up and preaches this incredible sermon in Acts chapter 2. And 3,000 people jump into the kingdom and are baptized. Those 120 had to baptize about 25 apiece, you know, if, if it was even distribution to, to cover those 3,000. And the church was born. And uh, the next amazing miracle we see, Acts 3 and 4, Peter and John are passing a man that was born crippled from birth. He's over 40 years old. So for 40 years, he's never walked. He's got deformed bones, no muscles, ligaments and tendons, cartilage, nerves. The rest of that part of his anatomy don't work. And remember, they say, we don't have money to give you, but what we have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And here's a creative miracle. The bones are all straightened out and strengthened, all the ligaments and tendons, the muscles. I mean, uh, you know, body memory. He, he was trained in an instantaneously how to walk, and he's leaping, rejoicing, praising God, somebody who'd never walked in his entire life. And uh, so by this point, we see Peter walking in the same level of, of manifestation of the power of God as Jesus had before his death before his resurrection. Now, from then on, we actually see the power increase in magnitude beyond what Jesus had experienced before the cross, before the resurrection. We get to chapter 5, and in chapter 5, there was such a multitude of people who had come into Jerusalem from all around the Mediterranean basin for Passover Pentecost festivals, and they'd been there for Passover, and they got arrested by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were part of the, the explosion of this early church and they're living in a, in a foreign community without work, without housing, without food. And so the Christian community is providing for one another. People are selling what they have and generously giving it away to provide for the needs of those in this exploding family. And so there's one couple that sells property and wants to look better than they actually are, trying to have a good, you know, a better image. They, they could have just been honest, like Peter said to them, please, the money was yours, you know, whatever you gave was good. You're welcome to keep whatever you want to keep. But they were, they were saying that they gave the entire gift when they kept some aside of themselves. And here's, here's something that uh, this duplicity was confronted by the righteous holiness of the Father, and Ananias and Sapphira were taken home. Boom. Dropped dead on the spot. Now, did we see anybody who had that kind of duplicity taken out of the picture before Jesus went to the cross? No. This is a greater level of authority and power. Death for duplicity. That's serious business. And uh, then the religious leaders are so jealous over the power that's being manifest because later on in, the, in, in, in Acts chapter 5, the multitudes of people from Jerusalem and the surrounding towns and villages are being healed by the shadow of Peter just passing by, not even speaking a word, not even touching, just his shadow passing by. It's the only place in the New Testament where it uses a comprehensive word. It says they were all, 100% we're talking here, demonic affliction, physical ailments and, and conditions, all being healed. Well, the religious leaders were so jealous, they were insane. And so they threw all the apostles in jail. 
And uh, who let him out that night? An angel of the Lord showed up, popped the jail, sent him back to the temple to keep on preaching the good news of Jesus. And uh, did Jesus get released from the, the civil or religious authorities before his death and resurrection? So here we have a, a higher level of authority and power being demonstrated. One, one more example. Uh, in Acts 12, we'll skip over a few other stories. Um, Peter and John are arrested by, by the successor to the Herod that, that was uh, reigning when Jesus was crucified. This is now the, the next Herod, Herod Agrippa. And uh, beheaded James, the brother of John, and the Jewish establishment was really happy with this. So he was going to behead Peter. Peter was in a prison, chained between two Roman guards, with two Roman guards at the gate of his cell. And look at Peter now. The night before his execution, the night before he's going to be beheaded, he is sound asleep. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Talk about a growth curve. I mean, here's the man at peace before facing execution. Most of us would be wide awake and just praying our hearts out, you know. Meanwhile, the saints are interceding, and they've already lost James, and they're interceding for, for Peter, and an angel comes and smacks him to wake him up, you know. Wake up, Peter. Come on. We're out of here. The chains fall off. The guards stay asleep. Walk past the guards at the gate of his cell. The, the main prison gate opens, and I'm sure Peter thought he was having a dream until he was outside the prison itself, and he's pinching himself thinking, this is real time. I just got set free. So with James, the fear of death is broken off the church. Now with Peter, the fear of life is broken off the church. And they're set free to just go for broke, for Jesus and for the kingdom. And uh, in that same chapter, the man who arrested him and was going to execute him uh, was standing before the crowds, and they were extolling him as a deity. And when in his pride... In that, in that huge ego, God actually struck him down on the spot and he was eaten by worms. Now, did we see any corrupt political or religious figure struck down and eaten by worms before the death and resurrection of Jesus? So another greater level of power. And just a few snapshots out of my own storyline. I know we're running out of time here this morning. Uh... In the, in, in the early years of the birth of our church, we had a young couple, dear friends of ours, a young mom, three kids in, in uh, grade school, uh, diagnosed with, with really aggressive lymphoma through the midsection of, of her body. One tumor had been removed like the size of a golf ball. She was scheduled for extensive surgery at UCLA to have her whole lymph system from the midsection of her body removed. We went to their home beforehand, before going down to UCLA. We, we just gathered around them, worshiped and prayed. The Holy Spirit landed on her, and she vibrated for 48 hours with the power of the Holy Spirit. Went down to UCLA. They opened her up to go in and remove all this cancerous mass that they had seen in the scans and through the biopsy, and there was nothing there, clean as a whistle. They closed her back up, and 25 years later, she's healthy as she can be. Never any recurrence. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's just wonderful. And another friend who was diagnosed with AIDS back in the early 80s was dying of sarcosis pneumonia, which is one of the conditions that AIDS patients often die from. We went to his house around his couch. He was too weak to move, had 106 fever, had already lost color vision, beat red, drenched with sweat, couldn't move, too weak. As we worshiped and prayed, he was totally, completely healed. The fever was gone. His lungs were clear. (laughs) He stood up totally normal, hugged us all, thanked us for coming. 
And uh, over 20 years later, it's never recurred. Still healthy as a horse. Now, I can go on with other stories like this, but, but one, the last 20 years, uh, teams of us from, from our home church have been going back and forth to Central Africa, Burundi, and Rwanda, right following the genocides in Burundi and Rwanda, 93, 94. The first time we were there, some of the first people over the border in Rwanda after nearly a million people were massacred. I mean, the, the, uh, the power of evil was, was so overwhelming in the area, you could literally just feel the swirl of demons, you know. It was just, uh, it was beyond words. And we got stopped by a military patrol, which was all through the countryside. And we were with an African apostle, and, and I use that word genuinely, the father of, of a whole family of indigenous African churches over there, took him off into the bush. He was gone for 45 minutes. We knew he was dead, that they were going to come back and kill all of us and take whatever value they, they could take off of us. We'd be tossed in the bush. Nobody would ever know, along with a million others that had perished recently there. And just before they pulled the trigger on David, our dear friend, the Holy Spirit gave him a word of knowledge that he knew the mother of this young man that was going to kill him. And she was back in Bujumbura, Burundi. They'd all been separated through the genocide, had no way to reconnect with family, no way to communicate. There were, there, it was before cell phones, landlines were all down. There was no communication. And, and he uh, you know, accused him of lying to save his life. And he told the man her name, what she looked like. <laughs> and the, the kid realized, this guy knows my mom. And he said, you give me a letter, I'll take it back to her in Bujumbura and reconnect you guys. Our lives were saved. We would, have all been, we would have all been executed by a word of knowledge. That day, there was no gas, no public services that were available, no food, no communication. We drove for a whole day across the country of Rwanda with no gas. Hello? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, we were hanging out with the right guy. And I'm not just talking about David, our, our, our friend there, the, the apostle. I'm talking about, you know, the king of kings. And so here, here's the, the learning curve that we're on, you guys. And, and it's like the sky's the limit. The sky is the limit. We, we, we just need to rest and trust his voice that he's with us, that he's for us, and listen, tune in and speak his heart to those around us and be open to those moments, as Greg told me this beautiful word this morning, of opportunity. Every situation in life, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, no matter how challenging, is an opportunity to see the revelation of the glory of God, our true identity, who we really are, our true destiny, to let Daddy, to let Jesus, to let the Holy Spirit be who they are. They're, they're wanting out, you guys. Hello? They don't want to be trapped. They want to be free to be themselves through us. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Daddy's love, the, 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 the victory of Jesus over every challenge any son or daughter has ever faced, the wisdom and comfort and power of the Holy Spirit to be released through us. I'm just going to close with, with uh, one last, as we look at the, the, uh, the closing part of uh, the first 20 verses of John 14 here. But, but basically one, the closing verse, verse 20 says, In that day you will know, you will know, that I'm in dad, I'm in my father, and that you're in me and that we're in you. Well, what was the day he was talking about? Remember, this was the night before he died. Well, he was talking about 50 days hence, the 40 days of his appearances after the resurrection, then his ascension, then the 10 days in the upper room, 
where these 120 people did something they had never done before in their life, pray around the clock. Wouldn't that be amazing? What if we got locked in here for 10 days and we just prayed and worshiped 24-7? And, uh, and then the Holy Spirit came with power and then... So in that day, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll know that I'm in the Father, that you're in me, and that we're in you, that, that we have this incredible intimate relationship with the three in one. And so it was first, uh, you know, burst into being on Pentecost, but there are three relationships. We'll close with this little line. Three relationships that we all have with the Holy Spirit, with, in, and upon. You want to say those three words? With, in, and upon. Now, the Holy Spirit's with everybody on the planet 24-7. Can you raise your hand if you think that's good news? I don't care if you're Hindu, you know, Muslim, if you're part of ISIS. You know, the Holy Spirit's there 24-7. Convincing everybody on the planet, John 16, 8 to 11 says of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, not a laundry list of all the horrible things we've thought, said, and done, That'd be bad news, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty embarrassing. Only one thing. Have you accepted me, Jesus, the covering of your nakedness, your sin? Unconditional forgiveness, total, absolute, unconditional forgiveness for the worst things that you thought, said, and done. Uh, of, of righteousness, because there's one person in human history that deserved the right to be at the right hand of the Father because he lived in perfect agreement with Dad. Even when all the lights went out in the darkest hour on the cross when he said, why have you forsaken me? He was living with all of our human limitations. He was surrounded by the fallen angels, his former friends, now, now arch enemies, foes. And he couldn't see his father, couldn't feel his father, couldn't hear him. For the first time ever felt the absence of his father. The darkest of dark. Nevertheless, he said, I'm not going to rely on what I feel. I'm going to entrust my spirit to you. And in the next instant, boom, his spirit was alive in the realms of death. And he said to Lou, okay, I'll take the keys of death and hell. The reign of terror is over. And for the next 36 hours, preached the most powerful sermon ever heard between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning and took a host of captives home with him to freedom. Uh, where, they, where they were born to be and poured out his spirit over all flesh. And uh, so when we say yes, Jesus, Daddy, the Holy Spirit come to dwell in us. And so when we're talking about identity, that's our true identity. That's, that's the way we, we started in the garden. That's what we were created for. That's who you and every other person on the planet really is. That's the way we're to see people as dad's son or daughter, as a person redeemed by Jesus who's paid an infinite price for every single son and daughter, as a person filled with all the gifts and wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit. That's who everybody's created to be. And when we treat people that way, when we have that attitude toward them, it really changes the dynamics of how people relate and respond. It's amazing how people respond when they're treated that way. Now, the, the last relationship is the Holy Spirit upon us, and that's uh, in Acts 1.8 when it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That means anointing for the supernatural works that God himself wants to do with us and through us. Healing, deliverance, 
uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words of revelation. You know, it's, 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 it's all that God is doing. Well, that anointing of the Holy Spirit coming upon us is renewable, repeatable, continual, constant, always available. Can we say amen? There is no, it, it's never exhausted. There's always more. Do I need more? Yes, I do. Do I want more? Yes. Do you want more? I believe you do. So uh, let's uh, wrap up and, and just say yes to whatever else the Lord wants to do in the moments we have remaining. I know that you guys uh, usually, which is a really neat thing, take a moment to say, is there anyone, as we've been worshiping and, and listening to his word this morning, has, have a word stirring in your heart that you feel like God wants to speak to us? Maybe a word of encouragement. It may be a word of knowledge about a condition to heal, about something he wants to do. We'll just take a moment and wait and see what you've been hearing. Because you all have Daddy, you all have Jesus, you all have the Holy Spirit. They're talking to you. You're listening. We get to participate. Our dear friend, our dear friend Mike. Yeah, it's actually getting warm by now. It's warming up in here. Amen.
Thanks so much, Mike. So in just a moment, we'll wait and see if there's an, another word or two. Uh, let's just review those really quickly. So uh, an, a fresh revelation of Jesus where you'll see in a fresh way his love for you, his presence with you and for you, how, how, how deeply he loves you. And uh, for any of you who are really troubled about something in life in your heart, he wants to bring you supernatural comfort, supernatural peace that goes beyond understanding. And uh, like the Holy Spirit was showing Mike, if there's something hanging on to you in your life that you're trying to let go of, uh, he's going to give you supernatural grace to let go of that, for it to be cut off. Yeah, brother? Sure. Right on. Individuality. Okay. Yes, you are. Yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Amen. Amen. No, Phil, you, you just gave the, the morning message, bro. Thank you. I'm serious. That's it. That, that, that's the message. The message is... He's living in us, and he loves, and is kind, and is embracing, and is patient, and is generous, and gentle, and affirming through us. That's how the world sees him now. He's not here physically on the planet, but he is. He's here physically more than ever in two-plus billion rapidly growing family in every people group across the earth. Imams in Muslim countries are having revelations of Jesus, like you're talking about, Mike. Orthodox priests are having revelations of Jesus. And, uh, I mean, it's just, it's an awesome time in which we live. He's revealed in us and through us. Uh, this, this sounds a little overstated. The incarnation continues. It continues in us and through us. I'm not trying to be presumptuous. I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual. Daddy, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are in us, just like Phil says. And they love their sons and daughters through us. They see who they really are. 
They see the brokenness. They see the hurt. They see the things that have hindered the freedom for them to be who they're really called to be. So we're going to have to release uh, parents in just a moment, not yet, to uh, collect kids. But let's just take a moment and just let Jesus come to you. Like Mike said, he's nodding his head to each one of us and giving us a fresh revelation of his love for us, of his unconditional embrace, his unconditional forgiveness, that he's with us, that he's for us, that he's in us, that he's brought daddy with him, that place of infinite safety and wisdom and unconditional love. He's brought the Holy Spirit with counsel and comfort and guidance. So I just bless you to receive Jesus who's standing before each one of us with passionate love radiating from his countenance toward us and letting us rest in his love, letting us rest in his forgiveness. And we just speak out loud his word to any of those of you, like Mike referred to, that are troubled where there are painful, hard things happening in your life. We bless you right now to receive the comfort of the presence of Jesus. He's taken all that pain. He's already overcome that circumstance. He's already overcome that situation. And and he's giving you freedom to know that it's taken care of, that he envelops it in his love, that the outcome is certain. Even though the meantime may be a mean time. The outcome is certain. And while Jesus is is speaking to us, any of us who have something we want to really let go of that is hindering our wholeness and freedom in life, Jesus is is just uh, eliminating that. We don't have to be superhuman. He's doing it for us. He's cutting off that hindrance. He's cutting off that burden, that addiction, that attachment, that obsession. He's just eliminating it. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me. Melt me, mold me, mold me, fill me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on Thank you that you always hear, are always attentive, 
that you welcome our prayer, that your heart is, is roused with a simple glance of our eyes, Lord, let alone a steady gaze. And we look to you. And we say, would you just fill us with the safety of your embrace and your love, with your constant presence in us and with the freedom as we're loved and secure, healed and transformed, that we're free to share that generously with each other and those around us. Now, we need to let moms and dads collect their kids, but before you do that, uh, I'm just going to mention, uh, I just heard a few words in the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> one was uh, cataract. Is there anybody in the, in the room that has trouble with, with uh, dimming vision? Have a cataract one eye or the other? If, if you do, come and receive prayer. Okay, Jack. And... Uh, uh, I'm going to glance at my sheet of paper here for a minute because I, I jotted this down when he said it to me. Oh, yeah, glaucoma, another eye condition. Anybody here suffering with glaucoma, come and, and receive prayer. We want to pray for you. And uh, then I just, I just heard the word uh, blockage in the circulatory system if there's some kind of interference in veins or arteries, you know, in terms of, of the free flow of, of blood, come and let us pray for you. Were you going to say something, Mike? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so if you've got a problem with a knee, come and let us pray. So, uh, We'll release moms and dad to get the kids, and we'll take time to pray, and then we'll clean up. And I'll just say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you peace. He's that way 24-7 all the time. He's not going to change. <laughs> Anything else, Greg? Okay. So those of you guys that, that want prayer, come on up. And uh, any of the rest of you who want to pray, please come and join us. And uh, we'll, we'll pray for those folks. You're welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. <clears throat>